Welcome to the Defiant Business Podcast. A business podcast produced by Defy the Status Quo for forward-thinking businesses and savvy professionals looking to defy the status quo of mediocre customer experiences, barely surviving businesses, and haphazard business development. We'll explore best marketing and sales practices, improving business processes, attracting your ideal clients or customers, striking your perfect work-life balance, business basics, intentional inclusion in business, and so much more. Thank you for joining me today. Let's do this. I am really excited to introduce my next guest, Dr. Aparajita Jirigunta, who is a social personality psychologist and a certified professional executive coach. She is also a published author, podcaster, and traumatic brain injury survivor turned mental well-being advocate. She helps ambitious working women overcome self-doubt and imposter syndrome, who doesn't have that, to build rewarding careers and thrive as visible business leaders who are seen heard, valued, respected, and recognized. She also consults and partners with corporate organizations to create custom-made comprehensive solutions that help them break their silo cultures and create interconnected, inclusive organizational cultures where their talent can fully belong and thrive. Thank you so much, Dr. AJ, for being here with me today. Thank you so much for having me on this uh, on your show. I love everything you do, and I'm just so excited. Yay. And what's amazing is that we met via a mutual Instagram connection, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've, we've never met in person, which I think is, you know, is kind of like a, a guest I had in season four. I've never met her in person, but we connected via LinkedIn. So real relationships grow from, you know, these social media interactions for sure. Yeah, and I think it absolutely helped that I, like, you know, nagged you uh, until, you know, because I had an event coming up and I needed some content and I just kept nagging you until you were like, all right, let's work together. Yeah, and that was so, right at the start of this whole quarantine thing, too. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So that's the crazy part. <laughs> so before we get into the business stuff, I always like to ask my guests something a little unexpected, a little off the wall based on some of the things that I've learned about you. So I wanted to ask you. What type of vendor are you and why? That's a loaded question. So <laughs> um, if you ask me with no other influence, I would say I'm a fire vendor. Mm. Not like Azula. You know, I'm not evil. I'm, I'm one of those. She crazy. But I'm one of those, you know, nice fire vendors. You know, maybe even like the uh, antagonist with the redemption story, a little bit like yeah. Zuko without the scarring. But um, I'm a nice fire vendor. But if you ask my daughter, uh-huh. who is a vendor reader, apparently at four years old, she de- mm-hmm. she determines people's vending abilities. She is a hundred percent adamant that I'm an earth vendor. Oh my goodness! I still don't wow. know where that comes from. Well, I mean, I guess if we're thinking about it, like uh, you said, a nice firebender. I mean, Uncle Iroh comes to mind, right? right. Yeah. 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 Like he was clutch. Like the mm-hmm. whole thing would have fell apart without him. Mm-hmm. He wasn't even like a main, main character. <laughs> and I I actually do have a little bit of Uncle Iroh's sense of humor. Um, it's just I'm, I'm extremely corny and I come up, I say the oddest little things that in the oddest times that somehow connect the dots to a greater point. So I really appreciate him. 
Yeah, yeah, he he ended up being one of my most favorite characters. So for those of you who aren't aware of what we're talking about, we are talking about the Nickelodeon cartoon show Avatar The Last Airbender. They made a movie, but it does not measure up. It was not, it was no bueno. So the show just landed on Netflix, right? Yeah, yeah, and I just finished Legend of Korra at 2 a.m. last night. So now that we've gotten things interesting already i wanted to go ahead and ask you about your business for those uh people in the audience who you know don't know you or are you know aren't familiar with your work i'd I'd love for you to share that with us absolutely so i am a trained social and personality psychologist and my initial path was supposed to be you know through academia probably moving on to get like my clinical certifications and go that route but because of my traumatic brain injury, I got to experience the clinical side of it from the patient end. Mm-hmm. And um, that completely changed the course of my life in many ways. What I experienced was this really huge sense of disconnect between the practitioner and the client to where I wasn't, and this was in Hawaii, where they were diverse but not inclusive, So they weren't as culturally competent as I needed them to be, which completely takes away from therapy if you have to change your narrative and if you have to change the nature of your needs and underlying causes and everything like that. And Mm -hmm. so after that experience, I said, I don't want to pathologize. That's not my jam, not my cup of tea. That's not where I want to play. Uh, right around that time, actually, um, I was a doctoral candidate, so I hadn't finished my dissertation yet. And because I was left on my own, with, I was on grad student insurance. So I had no recovery, no rehab. They vitalized, they stabilized my vitals, and they said, okay, bye-bye. So I was left to That's figure apples. out. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's the nature of healthcare industry in our country. It's a very profound statement on it. But after that, you know, I was left to my own devices, which in some ways is the best thing that could have happened to me. Because now it was like, okay, I had nobody else telling me what ought to happen or how progress should go. Mm -hmm. I was left on my own. And in the process of that, I found positive psychology because that was the one thing that was helping me make sense of me. And as I delved more and more and more into that, it really came out of me, like from the inside of me as this is my purpose. This is what my calling is meant to be. So I uh, got my doctorate, finished that. And then I decided to go back to school and invest in myself one more time, you know, because a doctorate is not enough. And I became a certified professional executive and leadership coach. And that's what I do now. Um, I, I help ambitious working women overcome their self-doubt, overcome their imposter syndrome, build confidence in themselves because it's not women don't have a lack of confidence. We're just told that and we'll get into this. Okay. So it sounds like you kind of have two different ideal clients in terms of personas, right? So you've got, you work with people, they may contract with you on a more individual basis, you know, join one of your group programs, but then also the corporation or the organization itself may also contract you to work with their employees, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. One of the biggest things I say, so many companies are saying that they're focused on diversity and inclusion, 
you know, they're saying it, which granted is still progress from what they were saying 10 years ago. But the numbers really show that we haven't moved much past just talking about it. And so for companies that are serious about moving the needle from diversity to real inclusion, I partner with them and I consult with them to help them create safe spaces where people can bring their whole selves authentically to the table and contribute all of their talents without having to hide essential aspects of themselves because the company actually increases its profitability in terms of cost savings, in terms of reducing unnecessary initiatives, and in terms of succession planning across the board, they just really improve their economic outlook, their financial outlook. Inclusion is the most profitable thing a company can do for itself. And if a company is not doing that right now, they are leaving nearly 70% of their talent on the table right now. Well, and just, you know, just kind of thinking about it, thinking about what you've said as it tumbles around, you know, I've, I've done a lot of research for my clients in terms of the impact of things like employee turnover and Gallup has a fantastic poll on cust- uh, employee engagement and how that impacts loyalty and, and turnover. And I think the number that normally gets tossed around is that it costs one and a half times an employee's salary to replace them. Mm-hmm. If an employee, if the general feeling in a company is that inclusion is a priority and, and that the company is working really hard, I have to imagine that that would increase loyalty and therefore reduce turnover, which is, mm-hmm. you know, one of those costs that, yeah. you know, falls under that umbrella. Absolutely. I was just actually reading this report yesterday and it blew my mind because when you add all of these other costs up, not just the rehiring and the retraining and the onboarding, but also the productivity, the culture fit, the team fit, the team cohesion stuff that has to happen, the knowledge transfer that has to happen, all of them put together, each employee loss actually costs the company near up to 10 times that employee's annual salary. Wow. Okay. Wow. We're, I'm going to have to get the link for that uh, mm-hmm. research from you because that's going to be really interesting to a lot of people. So you told us a little bit about your TBI experience, but what drew you to inclusion and diversity as a specialty, you know, looking back, like what kind of led you here to this point? Ooh, um, my whole life. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's one of those things where I think as I've gone on this journey, looking back, we always create insights looking backward because mm-hmm. while we know where we want our actions to take us, even the best designed actions don't take us exactly where we want them to take us. You know, they actually take us in slightly different ways which then looking back on it, you're like, oh my God, I would have never had that opportunity kind of a thing. Looking back on it, I think my whole life, there were signs all around me that this is where I was meant to be. It just took me a while to realize that my company's tagline, my whole life's tagline actually is making the invisible visible for better belongingness. That came about because Looking back after my traumatic brain injury, when I woke up, I didn't know my own name. I mean, you did a really good job of pronouncing it. I couldn't when I was brought back. (laughs) Yes, but 
this was my own name, and that's where I was, too, when they brought me back. I couldn't – I knew I was a doctoral candidate in psychology. I knew I was in a hospital, and that was about all I knew. I didn't know my own name. I didn't know my parents' names. I didn't know anything, and so I really had to rebuild from that point. And so I had to unpack my life, really. And it was in that unpacking that I realized all the ways in which – Society had rendered me invisible mm. in so many different ways and all the ways in which I internalized those messages and rendered myself even more invisible, put myself in a place where I thought I was powerless. I thought I was hopeless, where truly I wasn't. Being who I am does come with the privileges I also have in my life and the struggles they both go hand in hand, but I was only leaning into the struggles. But when I combined the two, how can I help my struggles with whatever privilege I do have? That's where things started aligning. And that was with my story. When I started making sense of that, then I started seeing in the outside world, all of these other stories that were just like mine in their own unique ways with the common thread of being rendered invisible, being marginalized, whether it's because you're a migrant with an accent. I mean, my parents and I moved to this country when I was 14. So I went through culture shock and puberty all at once at the same time as a new kid in an all girls Catholic high school. Teenagers are mean. That was fun. <laughs> uh, it was the first time in my life I got called a minority and I was like, minority in what? <laughs> like, have you met me? <laughs> um, but you know, it started making more sense. And so that's, so that was really like what the unpacking led to is, wow. So it's not just me. There are, there are literally thousands others like me. They all have unique stories, but we're all in this like super elite club horrible club of being marginalized and being rendered invisible. Wait a minute. I know what to do about that because I was able to pull myself out of that. So maybe what I, what I did to pull myself out can help others. And that's really where that really was it. That's where the business began and it just took off from there. That is such an awesome story. Thank you for sharing it. <laughs> Thank you.